0: Hello and welcome to a special edition of the podcast. I am very pleased to be joined today by Ted Lieu. Ted represents California's 33rd congressional district in the United States House of Representatives. He's serving his third term in Congress and currently sits on the House Judiciary Committee and the House Foreign Affairs Committee. He was also elected by his Democratic colleagues to serve as co-chair of the Democratic Policy and Communications Committee. We know Congressman Lieu as one of the most Uh, thoughtful and uh, uh, intelligent of the members of Congress we talk to on a regular basis here, and we are extremely happy to be able to be joined by him again. Uh, Welcome, Congressman Lou.
1: Uh, Thank you, David. Honored to be on your show.
0: Uh, Well, it's great to have you back. Uh, A wide range of subjects to talk about. One Uh, remains uh, in the news and is something you've been quite outspoken on. There have been continuing instances of violence against Asian-Americans. I'm in New York City. There was a particularly ghastly one here yesterday. Uh, Today, President Biden called for a new effort to combat this within the Justice Department. Do you have a comment on that and what else there is you think we ought to be doing about this? I want
1: to commend President Biden for his strong leadership on combating hate crimes And it is in stark contrast to the former president who tried to divide us by using racist phrases like Kung flu. It's important to get additional resources to the Justice Department to investigate and prosecute hate crimes and to also raise awareness that people who experience hate incidents and hate crimes should report them uh, to the local authorities or to a nonprofit Stop AAPI Hate.
0: Um, you, you participated in hearings on this subject last week and, and have dealt with these issues throughout your life. What do you think has changed in the character of hate crimes? I mean, they've always been with us, uh, sadly, um, but this seems to have reached a, a, new, uh, a new level. Of, I think uh, hate crimes against Asian Americans are up 150% over the past year. Um, why? Why? So you can look at the surge in hate crimes against
1: Asian American community and say, this is just a random occurrence or the more reasonable conclusion is it's because of this pandemic. And what we've seen historically is that when America goes into fear mode sometimes it scapegoats minority communities. So we had, for example, the whole yellow peril hysteria earlier in our country's history uh, that was followed by the Chinese Exclusion Act And then we had the internment of over 100,000 Americans who happened to be of Japanese descent. In the 1980s, when America feared the rise of Japan, hate crimes increased again. And Vincent Chen was murdered in Detroit uh, by some auto workers. And now we see this pandemic uh, causing fear. And part of that is being taken out on the Asian-American community who are being wrongfully blamed uh, for somehow spreading the virus.
0: are, are there things, more things you think the, to, the, the United States ought to do or states ought to be doing that they're not doing?
1: So I urge everyone in our country, especially elected officials, to follow the guidance uh, from the Yale School of Medicine and the World Health Organization and numerous other organizations who say stop using ethnic identifiers in describing this virus. The virus has an official name which is SARS-CoV-2. It also has an unofficial name, the coronavirus. Just call it that. Um, When you use terms like Kung Flu, it causes some hateful people in America to then start taking that out on the Asian American community.
0: You know, uh, you're right. You you talk about a a history that goes back over a Mm -hmm. century uh, with regard to um, discrimination against the Asian American community and violence against the Asian American community. We have a history of doing that. Um, as you note, whenever we are fearful with regard to, um, uh, sometimes with regard to rivals overseas, whether it was the Palmer raids on East Europeans and, you know, the wake of world war II, cause we were world war one, cause we were concerned about communism or whether it, uh, uh, has, you know, has taken other kinds of forms against other groups um, uh, in the wake of 9-11, for example, attacking people who looked of, of Middle Eastern descent. One thing seems clear, and that is that the United States relationship with China is growing more adversarial. Secretary Blinken said that specifically yesterday. Um, and it is likely to be more and more at the center of U.S. international tensions. Because of these things, do you fear that that will fuel um, deepening, uh, worsening, or an extension of this problem?
1: Uh, That is a fear because we've seen this happen before. It was the inability of our government to separate the actions of a foreign government with Americans. And that happened in World War II when our government was unable to separate the actions of the Japanese government with Americans who happened to be of Japanese descent. And that caused their internment of Japanese Americans, one of the most shameful chapters in our nation's history. And one of the things I'm trying to do is to get people to stop making the link between Asian-Americans and foreign governments because there is no link. Asian-Americans are Americans like anyone else. And this is... um, something that particularly affects certain ethnic groups such as uh, Asian Americans. It's also affected Jewish Americans who've also been accused of dual loyalties as well. And it's just got to stop. Uh, at the end of the day, we're all Americans.
0: You know, I, I, I hate to cast this kind of thing in, in, a, in, a, in a partisan light. You bring up the past administration referring to um, uh, uh, COVID-19 as, as uh, Kung flu and other things. Um, but that administration and the other party has focused a lot on issues uh, that divide and have race at their core. And, and you can see that also in things like voter suppression that targets communities of color. Um, uh, it's, 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 it's kind of part of their, their sort of stock and trade right now. Um, as long as the Republican Party proceeds on this course... It's another reason to assume that we're gonna see more of this division. Do you see any hope that that may change? Do you see any awareness among Republican leaders that the policies and the, the rhetoric that they're using is inflammatory and dangerous? I see some hope in the sense that Republican
1: voters are not necessarily the same as Republican legislators in Congress. So for example, The American Rescue Plan is supported by approximately 76% of American people, including nearly 60% of Republican voters. It also turned out that not a single Republican member of Congress or Senator voted for the American Rescue Plan, even though it greatly helps American people. So we're seeing separation between Republican voters, plus uh, some Republican local elected officials with what Republican members of Congress and Republican senators are saying. And it's my hope that Republican voters uh, will not use ethnic identifiers in describing the virus, uh, that they will work to unify the country. Whereas Republican legislators, I think many of them are quite extreme, unfortunately, uh, at this moment in our Congress.
0: Yeah, no, it seems that that is, is, is getting worse. On this parallel and unrelated issue, uh, because you are a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, there's been a lot of focus on how this administration is approaching the U.S.-China relationship, which has uh, been described by Secretary Blinken as the most important of geopolitical relationships. Um, and from the meeting a week ago in Anchorage, Alaska, between Secretary Blinken and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan uh, through this week, the... Uh, uh, there, there there, has been a sense that the the nature of the relationship is 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 changing. Um, do you think the administration is handling these first four as well? I do. I think it was important for Secretary Blinken to stand up
1: uh, to their wrongful assertions by the Chinese government. And there are several things that the Chinese government has done that were completely unacceptable. Uh, they suppressed information about this virus early on. They lied about it. Uh, They took actions that uh, no government should be taking uh, in terms of not warning people about this virus. Uh, In addition, uh, the uh, Chinese government also steals intellectual property. Uh, They have bad trade practices. Uh, There are a number of issues we do have with the Chinese government. Like with all governments, we do try to work with them on issues in which we agree. So for example, China was one of the principal uh, countries in the Iran deal and it required China's cooperation for the Iran deal to happen under the Obama administration. China routinely works uh, with the United States and other countries on trying to stop terrorism. Uh, So there's also a number of issues that we work with countries like China on and I'm on the Foreign Affairs Committee. It just happens that when you deal with other countries, they don't always agree with you. You have to learn to segment work with them on the issues that you can work with them on, and then you disagree with them on other issues and try to work it out.
0: Um, well, another of the issues that on which we're working with them, and the administration was quite open uh, re, uh, very recently in saying they invited more of this uh, is climate. Uh, it doesn't seem like there's you know any possibility of tackling uh, uh, a climate crisis worldwide without, real broad international cooperation. The administration also invited the Russian government uh, into discussions on this issue. Uh, It seems to me, and you've been very active on the issue, that uh, the administration has prioritized it more than any administration in the past, including with the appointment of Secretary Kerry as the, 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 the climate envoy. Are you comfortable that enough is being done?
1: I think a lot is being done by the Biden administration. And as you noted, uh, having Secretary Kerry there uh, at the national security level is so incredibly important because climate change also profoundly affects our national security. Uh, At the same time, it's very important that we work with other countries. And I'm very pleased President Biden got us back into the Paris Climate Accord. In terms of Congress, uh, we're not uh, doing nearly enough. In fact, we haven't passed any major law. Uh, regarding climate change, partly because we had uh, the Senate control, and Republican control of the Congress uh, for a variety of years. But now that it is in Senate and uh, House control by Democrats, I do think there's an opportunity to pass climate change legislation. And hopefully we can get that done uh, in Congress this term.
0: Well, moving sort of gradually to that, because this has an element of it. Tomorrow, the president's going to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he's going to unveil um, the first part of uh, his infrastructure initiative. Um, it it it's, uh, looks to be between two and a half and three trillion dollars uh, in size, has fairly large components of it uh, that actually have to do with climate-related initiatives, electric charging stations for cars, other kinds of green or energy-efficient initiative, tax credits, Uh, for energy efficiency. Um, uh, Also, it looks to be an initiative that this administration uh, seeks to have pay for itself, which makes it different from uh, the the most recent uh, uh, relief packages. Uh, And it also takes place over several years and is an investment. In other words, it should bring returns. What are your views on this initiative? What are your hopes uh, for what can be achieved in the area of infrastructure following the president's lead? When I was
1: serving in the House the last few years, infrastructure has been one of my priorities. So I actually introduced legislation for a $2 trillion infrastructure package. And even some of my colleagues in my own caucus thought that was too expensive. Now I'm thrilled that President Biden is looking at a two and a half to $3 trillion package. I think that's exactly what we need. And by the way, it's still um, below what the American Society of Civil Engineers has estimated to be our infrastructure deficit, which is around $4 trillion. I'm very pleased that uh, it's also going to focus on the future. Uh, We cannot stop technological progress. Companies like Porsche have already announced that by 2035, uh, they will have all electric cars. Uh, They're not going to have any gas powered cars whatsoever. Other companies like GM are following suit. So we can't stop this. It's going to happen that eventually we're just going to have renewable energy cars. And we're not going to have cars uh, that are guzzling gasoline. That's simply going to be in our future. We can either help that along uh, or we can try to stop it. And I think it's really stupid to try to stop it. And I'm very pleased that President Biden realizes that you can't stop the future we should embrace it and make sure that our companies and our workers are prepared for the future that's coming whether we like it or not
0: i know i just noticed that uh, volkswagen is rebranding at least some of its activities as volkswagen um right. to, and to to underscore their focus on electric uh, electric vehicles and in fact some people feel vo- volkswagen will uh, surpass Tesla soon as, a, as the leader in the technology in this area. Um, the infrastructure bill is, of course, more than an infrastructure bill. The president on a regular basis describes it as a jobs bill. Um, and of course, there's a history of investing in infrastructure to produce jobs in, in America throughout the 19th century through the New Deal. Uh, and uh, some Wall Street estimates suggest that even if this Bill is spread out over a number of years. It could produce something close to two and a half million new jobs between now and twenty twenty four. We're still in a a jobs ditch. Kind of, it's roughly the size of the one that we faced uh, uh, in in the wake of the Great um, Recession. Do, Do you see it important to get the message out to the American people that? We're not just talking about infrastructure for infrastructure's sake and that there are other economic benefits.
1: Absolutely. So we need to do infrastructure to rebuild our country. At the same time, it creates a heck of a lot of jobs and we have to build upon the success of the American Rescue Plan that's putting us on the path to recovery. So the American Rescue Plan is getting shots into people's arms, kids back in school, <clears throat> as well as money into people's pockets but now we really have to deal with the job losses that happened during this pandemic and one of the best ways is through government spending and government spending on infrastructure will create a lot of very good jobs
0: california has had pretty catastrophic um consequences of aging uh, electric grid infrastructure and so forth in the past few years, you get bad infrastructure or weak infrastructure combined with climate change. It's a very bad formula. We've seen that also recently um, uh, in Texas. Um, Is this something that you think needs to be a centerpiece of this as well? Yes. So Texas showed
1: us uh, what happens when you have poor government, poor planning, you shouldn't have the state shut down like that because it just got too cold. Uh, We're better than that. We're the most exceptional, amazing country in the world. And for a state of Texas uh, to do that uh, really is quite embarrassing. California uh, absolutely has to upgrade uh, its infrastructure and its grid system. And we have to look at infrastructure as part of the 21st century, meaning that we're gonna have to address cybersecurity attacks on critical infrastructure. Uh, We already know that uh, in the past, hackers have gotten into systems that regulate dams, and you can see how that could be a huge problem uh, if uh, we let that uh, continue. Uh, In addition, we have to make sure that we get broadband everywhere, not just uh, to uh, mainstream uh, Americans, but also folks uh, who don't have access to broadband, whether it's uh, in the rural areas or in inner cities, so we have to make sure it gets out to everyone. And these are components uh, that I think should be in an infrastructure package.
0: One of the uh, final questions about this, the, the, the administration is talking about, uh, and I know they're briefing uh, members of the Hill on the, on the plan today, but the administration is talking about uh, some tax measures to help pay for this, including raising corporate taxes to, I think, 28% uh, or high, higher and uh, also uh, raising taxes on on the wealthiest individuals. Uh, Immediately, predictably, um, Senator McConnell has come out and said, well, we can't support wholesale tax increases. Um, But a lot of this money, it seems to me, is money that uh, frankly was coming to the United States that we stopped getting because of the, the tax package that they passed a couple of years ago. In other words, you know, we, we, we had revenue coming in from, from high-end earners and they gave them a break at just the time they didn't need it and we couldn't afford it. So how do how do we deal with this balance? Or is this just gonna have to be another bill that's uh, you know passed exclusively by Democrats for the country? And that's a great question. By the way, my
1: prior response, um, I meant to say Main Street. I don't know if it came out, it may have said mainstream. So I apologize, I misspoke. I meant to say Main Street. And for your question now, again, it's an issue of Main Street uh, versus Wall Street in a sense. Uh, Their uh, tax package Republicans passed greatly benefited very large corporations It benefited the super wealthy and it hurt a bunch of people on Main Street, uh, including people Uh, In states like California and New Jersey, uh, in other states where they, in fact, capped what's known as a state and local income tax deduction, the self-deduction, and ended up, in fact, raising taxes on a number of middle-class families. So to pay for this infrastructure package, you're going to have to raise revenue. And the Biden administration and many of us in Congress are looking at reversing what the Republicans did with their awful tax law. And instead of giving large tax breaks to uh, those at the super high uh, top, we want to make sure that those uh, who are the very top pay their fair share. And so that's going to be looked at very closely uh, as revenue sources for this infrastructure package.
0: Uh, Just two more questions. One has to do with this. You, 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 You referred earlier to the American uh, rescue plan and the the broad popularity that it achieved, even though no Republicans voted for it. It Seems to me we could be headed in that direction here. The polls that I have seen over the past few years have indicated something like 80% of Americans support investing in infrastructure because they drive over the potholes, they drive over the rickety bridges, they deal with the power outages, they know it. Uh, and it looks like Joe Biden is sort of surprising folks because you know, here's a guy who's been in Washington almost 50 years. Um, and he was seen as an establishment guy. and he he seems to be sort of bypassing the DC discussion and achieving bipartisanship by addressing the needs of the American people. It's kind of the um, de beltwayification of, you know, of politics. you know, he's going straight to the people. Seems like a good formula. It seems like, and you know, in some ways, the way politics ought to be practiced. Do, do you really? Do you sense a change here, and just sort of how politics is being sold by him? Uh,
1: President Biden has tried very hard to unify the country, and his vision of unity is when a lot of people across America can agree uh, together. The American Rescue Plan was a great example. It doesn't mean. Uh, that you necessarily have to have bipartisan votes in Congress. And that's also how the American people view it. Uh, so, my House colleagues elected me uh, to leadership as part of the messaging committee. And one of the things I do is I read polls a lot. And what's interesting about the polling is it shows that the American people would much rather uh, have Congress pass out laws that help large numbers of American people even if it's not bipartisan. Uh, They view bipartisanship as, you know, it's nice to have, but it's not a goal in of itself. The goal is to help people. And if we're going to help people, we're gonna ask Republicans to join us, but if they're not gonna join us, Democrats are still gonna help people and we're still gonna pass laws that are going to help a lot of Americans. And President Biden has taken that view as well. And he's been very successful so far.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a real remarkable change. Let me ask you one last question. You know, the past couple of times we've talked to you, we, we tend to speak to you in your capacity as a member of the Judiciary Committee, and we were talking about um, holding the Trump administration to account. Uh, it's now almost April, two days, it'll be April. Uh, President uh, uh, Trump's been out of office for three months. Um, and yet, you know, there's no obvious progress on holding him to account. Uh, There have been some real impediments to putting together a group to look at investigating what happened on January 6th. Um, How do you feel we're doing on the job of holding the last administration to account and holding those responsible for the events of January 6th to account? The
1: second impeachment trial uh, was the most bipartisan impeachment vote ever out of the House of Representatives. And it was the most bipartisan conviction vote ever in the U.S. Senate. Uh, the Senate, as you know, uh, voted 57 to 43. In, in, in most other contexts, that's not close. Uh, 57 to 43 is a clear win. Uh, and I think history uh, will not be kind to the former president, history will reflect. Uh, that the former president incited an insurrection uh, that resulted in multiple deaths on January 6th. In terms of what some of the Republican senators have said, Senator McConnell's speech after the trial was pretty extraordinary. He basically said that the House impeachment managers proved our case and that there was no doubt that the former president incited the insurrection. He simply believed as a jurisdictional matter, uh, which I think he, he wrongly believed so, That the senate couldn't have jurisdiction over their former president and then he basically said that the court systems including the criminal court system exist to do that so he was basically one step away from saying lock him up and so right now we have cases uh, in the civil court system uh, as well as a criminal court system that could potentially go forward against a former president Uh, we'll see uh, what happens uh, as investigations continue and so you do have those two systems that can still hold the former president to account.
0: Well, last uh, question. Just take a, a moment here on that, though. Uh, um, S- Speaker Pelosi uh, spent some time talking about a commission, an investigation. Uh, it got obstructed for a bunch of political reasons. We've now, in the past few weeks, heard you know that there will be committee-level investigations. Do you expect that? Do you expect that there will be work um, uh, within the house or the senate on on playing the role a commission would have played or is that going to get pushed aside by other events
1: it would have been good for the american people to have a bipartisan commission uh, to examine uh, what happened on january 6th and how we prevent it from happening again unfortunately uh, republicans in congress and in the senate don't want to talk about it they don't want to talk about january 6th and the ones that do, some of them lie about what actually happened on January 6th. Uh, so unfortunately, it looks like we're not gonna be able to have a bipartisan commission, which means we'll now go to what we do normally in Congress, which is we have our committees do the investigations. I'm on the House Judiciary Committee. It'll be one of the committees that will be doing these investigations into January 6th. And so that's gonna proceed uh, and it will uh, go forward.
0: Okay. Uh, Well, look, we've used up the uh, allotted time that uh, you have uh, graciously given us, and then some, and we're grateful for that. Uh, As always, uh, your answers have been uh, illuminating and uh, specific. We've covered a lot of ground. We're very grateful, um, uh, Congressman, that you've taken the time to join us. Hopefully, we will do that again Uh, in the future. For those of you who do not uh, follow Congressman Liu on Twitter, not only do you get short incisive insights like you get here but i but i have to say you you managed to maintain your sense of humor on twitter which is not easy uh and uh uh makes it a pleasure to follow you as well so thanks for all of that uh congressman for those of you who'd like to hear about other conversations we're having with other members of the administration and uh, uh folks from the hill and we've got several coming in the next uh, week or two go to the dsrnetwork.com and uh, and and see what we've got coming and, uh, and uh, what else we've been doing. So thanks for that. Thank you, Congressman. Thanks to everybody out there and uh, stay healthy, everybody. Bye-bye.